Welcome to the eighth episode of the Outback Cast. I'm Steve Cuff, and joining me as always, Adam Myros. Howdy ho. Sean Glynis. Hello. And Steve Coleman. Good day. Steve, it's not a good day. What what the hell's going on with you, man? Well, my, my house was just burglarized the other day. <laughs> uh, just a little less than uh, 36 hours ago. And what? that was a harrowing experience. Were you there when it happened, or were you just, like, out or at work? I, I was moments away from uh, having just probably left the house, and they came in. So I um, went to go work at a coffee shop, and then at some point between when I left and my housemates arrived, uh, Harry and Marv had come into the building. <laughs> they, they cased you. They cased you just like the, the sticky bandits. They oh, yeah. They outside in the van watching you leave. Yeah, they totally staked us out, man. And it was uh, kind of shit. And the worst part for me is that I wasn't home when it happened because I couldn't get an autograph from Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. <laughs> you could. <laughs> you got bushwhacked. Yeah, yeah, you got you got bushwhacked. I got bushwhacked. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's depressing. I'm so sorry. Uh, what now? They didn't. What did they take? Yeah, I mean, obviously you still have your iPad. You're talking to us right now. What's what did they run away with? Yes, well, I had my iPad on me as well as my laptop. Um, I mean, they really just sort of took the stereotypical big ticket items, the television, that sort of thing. Your mother's uh, jewelry? Well, the, speaking <laughs> of jewelry, the interesting thing was that I had gotten a call from my roommate, and he would said that, you know, hey, I'm standing in a room right now trying to survey, see if they took anything, but it's really weird because there's like this gold chain in the middle of your room. And I don't own any jewelry, per no se. No bling? No bling. <laughs> per <but> se? <laughs> like watches, which oh, they, okay, take, sure, they, sure. they did take my watch, which was heartbreaking. But, yeah, um, cock they, ring. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was getting at. <laughs> well, those I bury in the basement, so that's fine. Um, but they, uh, he said, like, there's this gold chain in the middle of your room. I was like, I don't know what that is, but then it dawned on me I had been to a New Year's party where I had had this gold chain given to me, like a novelty sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it, when I came back to the literal crime scene at the house, there's this gold chain lying in the middle of my bedroom, and I had forgotten that I had it. But all I could think in my head is that there was like this like cat burglar type person in my bedroom. <laughs> Rifling through my clothing, you know, with like a beret and like, you know, an eye mask and a black <laughs> turtleneck. And he finds like my novelty gold chain. He thinks it's real. He thinks he's hit pay dirt, but then he like scratches it. He's like, ah, mad. And he just like throws it on the ground. And <laughs> he's nothing but tin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then he just takes my watch and iPod instead. See, the way I thought, the way. I thought you were going with this is, I assumed when you found the gold chain, it was like a take a penny, leave a penny thing, like a, you know, take a laptop, leave a gold <laughs> chain. <laughs> well, I, I did think that initially, though, because it's like, I don't own a gold chain, and it's like, oh, yeah, that thing from that party that I had, like, stashed somewhere, I don't even remember that I had it. Jeez. But I still have a uh, Larry Sanders box set. Oh, that's good. Did they go through Will your it? records or anything, or...? 
They did well. The interesting thing is they had the crime lab come in, and uh, apparently the crime lab. I wasn't here when the crime lab got here, but it was like a duo, a man and a woman. And my roommate oh, was law and order me, shit. It was like bones. <laughs> it's, it's just like bones. They're kind of like half flirting with each other, half competing with each other. But they <laughs> they dusted the shit out of a record of mine because um when they stole the TV, it's right above the entertainment center. They didn't touch the stereo. Mm-hmm. The record was playing. So I'm thinking like these thieves may have been like these really big fans of early 80s R&B funk from Britain. <laughs> and they, like I said, they dusted the hell out of my uh, Lynx record jacket. That's uh, wild. One, one question, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, did they take my Shadows in Paradise Eclipse DVD? <laughs> I'm looking at it right now, and I still have oh. it. Oh, and I will give it back as soon as I get my Tom Goes to the Mayor box set. Uh-oh. Well, it's a good thing I had that and Get a Life <laughs> of yours, because uh, now they're still there. Sean Glynis, known hoarder of borrowed items. That is currently, not true. Currently holding hostage several video games that belong to me and an OC box set, which belongs to Megan Connor. Yeah, season one. Yeah, this is a real wasted opportunity on Coleman's part. He, he could have just got a free DVD. Yeah, it he could have. <laughs> 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 right it, it. Yeah, it was the thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's part of a box set, so he would have had like this incomplete little jewel case. Yeah, that's no good. Well, I'm glad oh, you're no. all right, Steve. That's weird, oh, man. Yeah. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the other weird thing—I've never been bur- burglarized or anything—but aside from them, like rifling through all your personal goods, I wonder, like, the fact that they didn't take any of your good records—does that bother you at all? Like, do you think they look at looked at your record collection and was just like, eh, it's not that great? I I am a little offended. Like, I have these two Tears for Fears box sets here that are untouched. Like, the crime lab didn't even bother dusting them. You know? <laughs> It's like these are valuable items. Like, yeah, of course you take TV, whatever, mm-hmm. and not to like make light of like my poor housemates who own the house, like their TV and computers and stuff. But like, what what's wrong with my other stuff? Like, why is that not worth it? I don't know, man. Maybe, did they have? Maybe they respected you. Maybe maybe they were like, that's crossing the line. That's, that's, <laughs> they respected that's you so much. <laughs> that's irreplaceable. Yeah, you gotta stick to the cold, impersonal items. I don't know. I just like to think Um, that they thought you had terrible taste, and they're just like, "Nah, I don't want to." If there's one thing I learned about The Wire, it's that everybody has a code. So, (laughs) God, which is why I'm I'm doing this safely on a Sunday, by the way. (laughs) Thank you for that. Well, two weeks ago on the show. We were talking about the Oscars and, um, you know, just the Oscars as an award show and the idea of prestige cinema versus populist movies and how these awards get handed out and decided and, you know, things like that. And we're going to kind of flip things. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of guilty pleasures, whether they're, you know, movies, television, video games, whatever. It's kind of a weird distinction. It's hard to like specifically nail down what a guilty pleasure is and what a guilty pleasure isn't. You know, someone might be like, oh, my guilty pleasure is chocolate. I just got to sneak some every once in a while. But it's like, dude, everybody fucking loves chocolate just because <laughs> it's bad for you. Like, fuck off. That's, you know, uh, 
Sean, I think you came up with a really good way of defining what a guilty pleasure is. Do you want to share that? Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, when I was teaching um, a 101 to media studies class, um, we would talk about guilty pleasures one week. And uh, <clears throat> to introduce the students to this concept um, and to help them, like, uh, identify their own or, or you know, um, yeah, come up with some that, that they feel that way about, um, I told them to think about themselves on sort of like a perfect first date. So they're, they're on this date with somebody that they've just met. They don't know a whole lot about each other. Mm -hmm. And it's going really well, and they really want to impress them. So <clears throat> you're talking about pop culture on the date, and how much you can bench press? Yeah, well, yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> One so, ten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, how many hot dogs you can eat in a hot dog eating competition? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but. Uh, Three. Anyway, so you want to you, – most people's inclination is to go towards, like, uh, things that are going to make them look like they have good taste. Sure, uh, sure. So, so I told them to think about things on that date that they wouldn't say. So what would be the last thing that they would want to say? Or they would want to be, like, outed as something that they enjoy, some, something that they assimilate their taste with? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have any? Yeah. Do you have anything in mind specifically for you? Like, well, what would what would your guilty pleasure be based on that criteria? Yeah, yeah, uh, my guilty pleasure. Okay, so <clears throat> I tried really hard to find something um, that's embarrassing, um, especially since like the point of that class was sort of to like air those out and then to understand these things as arbitrary. Um, mm -hmm. So, like you said, um, there's no. Uh, hard and fast rules about what a guilty pleasure is um, because it's it's so shifting depending on people's tastes. Mm -hmm. um, so, con like you know, likewise, there's 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 no there's really no such thing as a guilty pleasure, or there shouldn't be. People do feel guilty, but but you know, I, I would try to to air air so, that out of them so they can sort of like cleanse cleanse yeah, themselves. It, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of like a fetish or something, you know. Like you might not want to come yeah, right yeah. out with it originally, yeah. but it's going to come out eventually. But you yeah, might want exactly. to save it for, for date five or something. You don't lead with "I love to suck on toes." That's right, right. right. Yeah. And it might not uh, be as acceptable socially. Mm -hmm. Right, that's true. Yeah. So, yes, so it's, it was hard for me to come up with one um, from somebody who tries not to um, believe in in that or. or I try not to let myself feel guilty about um, things that I like. Um, so I was thinking about ones that maybe people would consider at first, um, like something like how, how much I love watching 17 again, um, <laughs> or The Bachelor, which um, Steve Cuff and I have uh, live-tweeted many a times. Yeah, a big Bachelor uh, fan. But a fan of, too. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show, but um, it's also one that for me is contingent on um, participation uh, with other people. It's not as fun to just watch by myself. Uh, anyway, uh, but what's like something that I'm really embarrassed about? Um, I had to kind of think about it a different way. Um, the, the question, the original question, and it was more of like, what would I be embarrassed about? Uh oh, Sean, we're losing things. You. 
You're back. We oh, lost okay. you for a second. So what were you saying? Okay, so I, I was saying that um, I had to sort of like uh, think of think about the question differently, uh, the original date question differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was less it was less about because I can talk about things I can talk about anything that I enjoy like you know all the time. But I, I thought about like what would I be embarrassed about if I saw somebody watch like if if somebody saw me enjoying something, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was thinking, so, like, um, I would be kind of embarrassed, I guess, if someone, like, saw me, like, bumping, like, Taylor Swift in my car, like, as loud as I do sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> which is different from me, like, talking about Sometimes I'll, like, get in my car, and, like, my, my girlfriend will be getting in the car, but she wasn't in the car with me previously, and I'll turn on the car, and Taylor Swift will be, like, going Keep fairly loudly, and she'll just give... <laughs> She'll like give me this look like, oh, interesting. Hey man, haters are gonna hate, 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 <laughs> hate. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, um, for me, it was it was more about things that, um, I I don't know. It, it's it's interesting because, like I said, I can talk about anything that I enjoy, but when. There, there adds another level when it comes to like actually putting that to practice and being like, okay, I, I'm gonna do this in front of you. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's, much no, there's like definitely a difference between. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, you go ahead. There's, there's definitely a difference between, you know, saying, oh, I, yeah, I, I like Taylor Swift's new album. I think it's good, and then just. You know, driving down the street with the windows down, and you look over, and some guys just staring at you as you're singing Taylor Swift <laughs> at the top of your lungs. Like that, that, yeah, it takes it to a completely different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like wearing sweatpants, not my guilty pleasure, but right now I got a pair of uh, gray ones with a big hole in the crotch and uh, elastic waistband, and I don't think I'd want to walk downstairs to Walgreens and you know buy something right now. Wouldn't be good. Don't use the W word. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're a corporate man. Sorry about that. <laughs> maybe there are new sponsors. Wegmans. <laughs> no, but yeah, that, that's that's a great point. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking about this too because there's so many things that I like that I know are generally thought of as bad, but I'm not really embarrassed that I like them. Like I love shitty horror movies. I love terrible horror movies, but I'm not really embarrassed that I love them at all. You know. That's well, yeah, why I love yeah, them because but, they're horrible. Uh, I, you know, I, I take great pride in <laughs> watching them and talking about them and having a way, probably way too much knowledge of terrible horror movies. Like it's something I really get into. Uh, so for me, when I was yeah, thinking but, about it, oh, uh, go ahead. I think there, um, there's an interest. There's a for me, it's hard to talk about guilty pleasures without talking about gender and how these pop cultural things are gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, so like something like scary movies, no matter how good or bad, like that's that's surrounded by by a masculine culture. Um, yeah, yeah. So like for instance, when I asked, whenever I would ask my students the question about their guilty pleasures, <clears throat> inevitably it was things like the lion's share of people's guilty guilty pleasures were things that were marked feminine, like Desperate Housewives or Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. um, and and especially. Things that were considered pop culture for young women. Yeah, um, yeah. Something like like Justin Bieber or something like that. Twilight. Like I don't like just think of like a less marginalized group that, or a more marginalized group than like tween and teen girls. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a great point. 
I would argue that you could even racialize it to a certain extent. Yeah, sure. Um, like if there's a certain R&B group that you like, or if you're really into Luther Vandross. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's almost more of like a classist argument too, but I mean, that exists. That's in the, you know, pop culture discourse ether or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a perfect example. Mm, I don't sure. think anybody ever said, "Oh, my guilty pleasure is Mozart. I can't get enough of the guy. It's so embarrassing." Like that, that's not a thing. Uh, so yeah, that's, right, that's a really right. good point. Uh, and that well, it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned class too because the thing I was thinking of, uh, my guilty pleasure is in the last year I've really, really gotten back into professional wrestling. Uh, Likewise. Yeah. So. How do you talk about that with people? Like, that's definitely not something I would share on a first date because it's something most people stop watching when they're 12. Um, it's it's a soap opera, more or less, mixed with fighting, but fake fighting, you know? So it's just all these different elements. And then if you look at the core audience, it's seen as this kind of, like, blue-collar, rednecky, not really a sport type of thing. Well, I think that's the issue with professional wrestling is that the core audience at least has that stereotype of being this redneck, ignorant mm-hmm. audience. Yep, exactly. And when, in reality, you can view professional wrestling as a form of theater. Mm-hmm. And an exaggerated form of theater, but then again, what form of theater isn't exaggerated? It's kind of a redundant statement to make. Yeah, uh, I guess another problem with wrestling is it traffics so heavily in stereotypes. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a big problem, right? <laughs> right. It's like it, you know, you feel ashamed to, to uh, endorse that sort of storytelling on occasion. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. problematic in that sense, like sexism, racism, and just general, you know, beefy bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and but there's something. There's really something primal about watching wrestling. It's got all this raw, poorly scripted drama mixed with ultra violence. Like it's just, I don't know. It really taps into 12 year old me and what I loved, and I guess still do love. Which now uh, its current state passes as family entertainment. Yeah, that that is true. So yeah, especially back during like the Attitude Era or whatever, when you know there was all kinds of like blood and people were doing horrible things, and you had like porn star themed wrestlers and you know guys like Steve Austin chugging beers and sticking their middle fingers up and whatnot. And now it's oh you know now it's more family friendly. Well, it's like yeah, you guys still have basically all the same problems, and it's more or less the same audience. You've just toned it down a notch. I feel like I get my like wrestling soap opera fix from like watching Game of Thrones. Like it's this faction based nonsense. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a great example. That's that's a really good example. <laughs> that was always what I got out of it when I was really into it. Oh, who's gonna join the NWO this week? I like the most. Like my one of the things I most remember is when Hogan faced Kevin Nash for the title and just tapped him in the chest with a finger, and it was like. Finger oh, dude. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, this is sounding a lot like uh, Divergent. Ah, yes, Divergent. That's what we're doing, and and also a, a great guilty pleasure. But <laughs> I liked it. I mean, I, I was kind of like dozing in and out, but but I liked it more than I, I clung to it more than uh, the Hunger Games. See, for me, uh, I think guilty pleasures are just because I like to think I have like some particular cultivated image of myself that's probably not what anyone else sees at all, but it's just uh, 
what you think you're putting out there. Like, you know, my movie shelf is is a bookshelf of your, you know, you, you like I had, you know, I own five or six movies I would uh, just take off the shelf and throw in a drawer because <laughs> they just didn't belong, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is great, too, because other than you, and when I lived with you, me, and I guess when Amanda lived with you, or us, her, how many people saw your movie shelf? <laughs> yeah, probably no one. I'm and a very again, antisocial human. <laughs> even when we lived together, my movies were in the living room, Yours were in the bedroom. So it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, how many people were just, you're like, hey, come on into my room. Let me show you my, uh, my stack here. Well, see, I, but I totally, I agree with that, and I sympathize with that because I'm very much the same way. I think, like, as far as, like, a guilty pleasure, it's like there's this presence you want to perform in front of everybody else that you meet. It's like everything I'm into is important and it matters, whereas, like, for right. me, I'm like, if I go to, you know, to go back to Steve's chocolate analogy, like, I'm embarrassed by the fact that I go to Buffalo Wild Wings every Tuesday for uh, spicy garlic wings. Oh, great example of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm, like, outing myself now in front of a lot of people. <laughs> you go to Buffalo Wild Wings every week? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. But uh, Are you the one altering those football games to extend the game? No, because I only come out days. <laughs> but yeah, like I would never tell anybody that, even though I just told a lot of people that right now, potentially. Um, they're by my side. Eventually. It's like my Somebody's fu- getting a gift card for his birthday. <laughs> but like I also like my one of my favorite songs of all time, and <laughs> this is serious, is Sting's Fortress Around Your Heart. There's no reason for me to like that song, and I will defend everything that would be otherwise considered a guilty pleasure, but I have no defense for that song. (laughs) I watched the video the other night, and it's an awful music video. Sting is an awful artist. I'm not – I'm just going to say that flat out. He's terrible, at least by himself. Uh And I have no excuse as to why – that song is great other than just for some strange reason it affects me and I really like it. I guess the best hmm. defense for that song is there's probably worse Sting songs? That's <laughs> You got that? It's not Which, Desert Rose, right? Yeah, it's not Desert Rose. <laughs> that is true. It's <laughs> just like everything about him, I just I can't stand. But that one song, if somebody caught me listening to it, I would have to apologize for that. <laughs> Well, I think that could be a big part of a guilty pleasure, too, is just knowing that you love something, but at the same time, you're like, I can't I can't really justify this. I just, I love it, and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, which is, for me, why it's so tied into to childhood and nostalgia. Like, it's things that I, if I saw now, if I saw it tomorrow, I would hate, but but since I saw it when I was young and impressionable, and it was, it was such a part of, of forming my particular tastes and uh, my childhood, then, you know, it still holds this spot on a pedestal where where it still entertains me to a degree. Now, specifically, Myros, when we were talking about what we're, you know, what we're going to do on the show and stuff this week, uh, you had mentioned the movie Billy Madison, which, oddly enough, is 20 years old this week, uh, which is crazy to think about that it came out that long ago. Uh, but I know you have a you have a special love for that movie. I know it's got a place on your shelf. 
Well, it's, that's, it's that's the only movie from your childhood. I mean, you were probably like 10, 11 years old when that came out. Well, let's do the math. I'm 30. Uh, 20 years ago, I was I was indeed 10. So See? basic yeah. arithmetic. We got it. And I'll say too that I went there for my 11th birthday party, which was also 20 years ago, and saw uh-huh. Billy Madison with a group of other fifth graders. Wow, <laughs> you, had, you had cool parents letting you go see Billy Madison in fifth grade, man. Yeah, I didn't see it in the theater. It was I was a little later to it because uh, I think Happy Gilmore was like my Sandler gateway drug. I went to see that in the theater, and, and was Sandler a, gateway drug. <laughs> Fortunately, you, you start with the Billy Madison, and then you work your way up to Little Nicky, and before you know it, you're watching Click, and you can well, never was, turn back. Fortunately, I think right? Gilmore is the marijuana of Adam Sandler movies. It I would is, agree yeah. with that, yeah. yeah. I don't what's know where it goes from there. Like, uh, what's the heroin? I just, uh, eight uh, Crazy Nights. Yeah, eight, I'd say Big Daddy, and I'd say the uh, yeah, the meth is Little Nicky. But the mm-hmm. cocaine is definitely Billy Madison. I would say Crazy Jack and Jill is, like is probably... Good. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you. I was going to say uh, Jack and Jill is probably the bath salts of the... Uh, <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I still... I was, I'll still have, I still have affinity for Billy Madison. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. His shtick had certainly... It was new at that point. He was still in heavy-duty SNL, Adam Sandler, man-child mode. Uh, I think he becomes less and less effective as he tries to play, like, schlubby everyman. Uh, it was more entertaining when he was just, like, over-the-top, ridiculous child in man's body. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a great film. It's certainly flawed, but uh, it, it, there's any number of, like, mid-'90s comedies, like Wayne's World and stuff, that are they're in my mind much more successful than they probably are in actuality just because mm-hmm. of when they came out and, and who I was then. And, you know, yeah. I own a lot of these movies, and, and they are the definition of the thing that are that are sitting in a drawer instead of on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. I think Happy Gilmore, out of all of his you know earlier movies that I definitely enjoyed as a kid, Happy Gilmore probably holds up the best because he's still in man-child mode, but he's slightly more man than child as opposed to Billy Madison. Uh, but he hasn't completely jumped the shark into full-on, like, Happy Madison production bullshit every year. So, right. yeah, it's, it still works. It's funny. You get some laughs out of it. It's it's dumb, but it's not the dumbest he's done. Billy Madison, on the other hand, I used to put that in the same category, and I used to do it without really thinking about it. Like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Adam Sandler sucks, but, you know, uh, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, they're good movies, good movies. But I said that without actually having watched Billy Madison in probably 10 years at least, uh, close to it. I watched it. I finally watched it this weekend. And, oh, my God. Myros, if, if you want Billy Madison to hold a special place in your heart, do yourself a favor. Never, ever, ever <laughs> turn it on again. Just don't. I took a page of notes on Billy Madison. How bad is the, the production quality? The production quality is its fine. It's a really weird movie, though. It's got this super loose structure. I'd love to look at the script because so much of it feels like ad-libs and the whole, like, the main storyline of Billy having to, uh, you know, 
go back through grade school, middle school, and high school so that he can inherit his rich father's <laughs> company because that makes sense. Uh, it, that story, Ooh, what like, high stakes? Yeah, big big time stakes here. It's great too because what happens is if he doesn't complete school and he doesn't inherit the company, then the consequences for that is he gets to keep living his life the way he currently is, which is in a mansion just being rich and drunk all day. So, yeah, big big stakes in that movie. But, yeah, uh, but his, co- his father's company would be corrupted by that Weasley fellow, right? Yeah, which, exactly. Uh, his father's company, which he doesn't really seem to care that much about. Played by Bradley Whitford, by the way, of uh, mm-hmm. West Wing's name. And I will say, like, Bradley Whitford and Darren McGavin, who plays the father in the movie, mm-hmm. those like those guys, like, brought everything they had to their respective roles. Oh, and yeah. For those of you who don't know, Darren McGavin is the father from uh, Christmas Story. Oh, mm. I did not know that. Mm. See, I think Bradley Whitford's, like, the entire reason why this movie would probably still make me laugh. Cause oh, yeah. He's he a fantastic... Mustache twirler in this movie, I gotta say, he's he's a good villain. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. one montage sequence where he's got a cutout head of Billy Madison that he puts on a popsicle stick, <laughs> and then he has like a poster board that he's put together, and then he's got little pockets, and above each pocket is a grade, like first grade through twelfth grade. And every time Billy passes a grade, he like looks at the cardboard cutout really angry in the montage, and then he puts it in the next grade level and. It's, it's a, lot is, of, a lot of arts and crafts for a villain. Which is set in a segue piece with uh, Michael, uh, the Jackson 5. The Jackson 5, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> ABC. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that whole storyline feels really rushed, and at the same time, like, incredibly underdeveloped, and the whole movie is basically propped up by all these bit car- part side characters that are just doing their part to hold the movie up because Adam Sandler can't fucking do anything. Like the revolting blob, speaking of professional wrestling, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. So, in Billy Madison, which is, I mean, it's Billy Madison, the greatest sin one can commit is being a former professional wrestler, apparently. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) Principal of an elementary school. Well, he did, like, kill someone by sitting on his face, right? Yeah. And he also wants to fuck Billy Madison. He does. Ah, very true. Uh, see, that big thing. Everybody wants to fuck Billy Madison in this movie. Very complex character. Yeah. <laughs> His the, the, teachers want to fuck him. The principal <laughs> wants to fuck him. There's a part where it's Valentine's Day and he's in second grade. A bunch of six-year-olds want to fuck him. It's crazy. <laughs> like, that's there in the is, movie. Everybody wants to fuck him. That, you know that... I think that the principal's subplot is probably the most, like, egregious... Uh, problem in the film. It feels so manufactured and fucking ridiculous that uh, it doesn't really belong anywhere. Uh, But I mean, I I still think it it kind of holds up. Just There's a lot of Adam Saylor being cruel to children that's uh, funny. And uh, (laughs) and, on the brat, Ramones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's, you know, uh, just a lot of cameos that uh, elevate it to a a level that I can still sit through. Uh, You've got, you know, Norm MacDonald, you've got Chris Farley, you've got Steve Buscemi. It's just a lot of interesting, one-off, like, quirky little characters that uh, kind of make it acceptable to me still. <laughs> yeah, Chris Farley is, is pretty entertaining doing his, you know, I mean, he's basically Chris Farley playing Chris Farley, but... Um, sure. It's great. Ever, his character's right. fun. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good little bit parts, and then there's, there's these bizarre, surreal moments. But again, I doubt we're scripted, but they're just kind of like 
tossed them in there to see if they'd work, and some things stick and some things don't. Uh, but there's this one scene where it's another music montage sequence, which there's like five of in this movie for some reason. Uh, but Billy Madison is he's clapping together chalkboard erasers in the background, and then the camera uh, it, it zooms out from him. And his teacher, Miss Lippy, is just she has like a, a can of like paste, which yeah. I don't think exists in the nineties, but okay, whatever. And she's like smearing the paste on her face. <laughs> I just busted out laughing when I saw that. So it's just yeah. like these weird little things. It's a but, very surrealistic moment in that film. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's there's a couple of those where she's yeah. like, What is going on? It's it's just so bizarre. Uh Norm MacDonald's great, he's got some good lines, and again, some of those weird surreal moments. Uh the best probably, though, is at the end. So it's a 90s comedy. Billy Madison gets the girl, of course. And he's rewarded with a kiss. And then everybody else in the movie just starts kissing people. Just, like, <laughs> randomly kissing people. And the, the last people to kiss, there's this imaginary penguin that's in the movie. Uh, because when you drink a lot of beer, you see penguins. That's what the movie tells us. And... <laughs> Chris Farley and the penguin are are kissing, and you could tell Chris Farley's trying to figure out how to kiss the penguin because it's just got this big plastic beak, and he ends up grabbing it by the beak and just kind of like sucking the side of the beak, and it's it's pretty funny. I'll give it that. <laughs> See, this is this is why I I can't possibly hate this movie. It's just it's a structuralist. It's like a movie that that by all rights shouldn't exist. There's like no. It's this total batshit plot, and they just kind of did whatever the fuck they wanted, and. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's stupid and plotless and weird as shit, and uh, that's the most. That, that's to its credit. I mean, I can't. I can't take the baby voice, man. The Adam Sandler baby voice. I was about ready to like tear my ears from my head. And I think one of the things that separates like early Sandler from whatever the fuck he became is is the villains. Like you know, you got your Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin, and Happy Gilmore, and mm-hmm. and, and these are like great antagonists, and there's like driving action that totally doesn't exist in his future movies. It's just like, what the fuck is... It, it's amorphous and messy, and I don't want to watch it. <laughs> well, there's also one moment in Billy Madison that I think like speaks to Adam Sandler's future, and it's where they're all sitting around watching TV. And help me out with this one, if you can remember, but they're watching a sitcom about a talking dog. And the dog just says, I forget what the quote the dog makes, but it's like, take that, motherfucker, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's watching it, but nobody else is laughing except for Adam Sandler. He's like, oh, oh, oh my God, that's hilarious. And the credits are laughing. <laughs> it's just like his career, yeah. He's the only one laughing in his dumb joke. <laughs> like he projected so much in that one forgetful scene. So, yeah, so doesn't this movie kind of seem like, Adam Sandler's life at this point. Isn't this what you imagined he does at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Sitting around in ridiculous wealth with like a bunch of slacker losers just uh, doing nothing. Yeah. Being wasted at all times. Well, according to um, to, uh, Nick Swartzen, um, (laughs) Adam Adam Sandler, you know, one of his his, uh, primary quivers, um, he said that they just make movies for fun, um, which is why they turn out terrible, because mm-hmm. he's sort of thrown out, like, critical regard or or regard for good movies out of the window, and um, they just have fun with a ton of money. Uh, <laughs> and 
sometimes that makes money, or, or at least they don't spend enough to not lose money. Mm-hmm. So, it yeah, it does sound kind of like, it, it kind of sounds like he's uh, made these other movies that have sort of, like, made him famous. Uh, so if we're going to keep up the metaphor, like, he's sort of gone through the grades, and now he's just sort of, yeah, like, playing around um, in his own filthy, rich mansion or whatever. He never seemed, did take over his dad's company, right? He, he never no, he gives it away at the end. He gives it away to the other guy, which made me think, okay, so the guy that he eventually gives it away to, like the, the nice executive person or whatever, Carl. Carl, yeah. Carl, who, you know, worked hard for Billy's dad for 25 years and worked his way up from a, you know, blue-collar job into the, you know, boardroom or whatever. Carl is supportive of Billy the entire time. So Carl's, he's got the perfect play. If Billy fails, he still has his job. But if Billy succeeds, he knows that he's going to have to guide Billy through this process. So I think the entire time Carl was manipulating Billy and helping him succeed so he could take over. Carl's an asshole. I guess the question is why why didn't his dad pick Carl to begin with? Why was he like, I'm going for the Weasley guy? Yeah, def- yeah. definitely the Weasel man. That's <laughs> we need to take choice. Well, it's not like he's ever... Being the uh, the soft guy, the two like side men, because he's not quite a yes man, even though he's like one of the right hand men. Whereas like Bradley Whitford's character is the ass kisser, he's the manipulator, and the evil person you don't want running the company. Right. Um, I don't know if there's actually a scenario where like Hilton Hotels has like you know <laughs> two guys running the joint. Yeah, yeah. Besides the owner, but I don't know. I think. It's weird because I think the narrative has like this natural thing happening where you know Carl's going to be the guy running it, mm-hmm. and he sort of is like an audience surrogate in the movie. Sure. I feel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you want to get that deep about Billy Madison, by the way, <laughs> we're getting real deep. This is the deepest anyone's ever gone on Billy Madison, by the way. <laughs> Couple things I want to touch on. First, the voice thing, which I remember existing because I remember all the you know the little one-liners like "Stop looking at me, Swan," and you know the the baby voice that he does. Shampoo is better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No I conditioner. S- yeah. I still do before conditioner to this day because of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing the baby voice, and I I kept track because I was like, this is going on for way too long. Eight and a half minutes in Billy <laughs> Madison. Before he speaks in a regular voice, just eight and a half minutes of baby voice. I do specifically remember my brother being upset when he used the regular voice when we'd watch the movie when we were like, you know, 11 and 10 years old, respectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and kids, I guess that's another reason why it appealed to us as children so much. Kids love people making stupid voices. All I can think of is... Most popular guy on YouTube is this guy PewDiePie, and all he does is play video games, and then his like face is on a webcam, and he makes funny voices and silly sounds while he plays video games. That's it. He's just like Adam Sandler and Billy Madison, but in front of an Xbox, more or less. Sounds so good. yeah, kids, uh, they like they like dumb voices. The other thing I want to talk about, and maybe Myros, maybe you can shed some light on this, or Steve, how. Exactly, does Billy Madison get into a relationship with his teacher, Veronica Vaughn? How does how does this work? Because as far as I can tell, and correct me if I'm wrong, Billy Madison is a dick and an idiot, yeah, sure. and he's horrible, and she sure. uh, she recognizes him as such. 
And then they go on the field trip. Billy Madison grabs her boob because one of the little kids dared him to. So that's, you know, that's a good hello, good first move. And then after that, he pretends to piss himself. That's the moment right there. That's that's, that's the moment. And then the right after that, out of nowhere, like literally in the next scene, it's it's the graduation scene. She's just like, hey, let's make out in your tent that you have here. Let's make out. Well, because he pretended to piss himself. Yeah, yeah. Narratively, she appreciates the fact that he went out on a limb to try and embarrass himself for this other kid who is legitimately embarrassed. Also, being a colossal cock to all the other kids. Well, he's growing as a person, but keep in mind, there's also the factor that uh, that he does. He is the heir to a a billion dollar odd fortune. So, uh, see, there you go. This is what. This is one of the things that I I uh, really dislike about the the um, Happy Madison projects is that um, yeah he gets to do whatever he wants and he's like this deplorable person and then um, he will get the girl and then he will do something that is like so humanitarian at the end that you know you walk out of the theater and you're like oh what a nice oh he was kind of a weirdo for a bit but what a nice guy. Yeah, and it's crazy, though, because at least in his newer movies, he does something to redeem himself. Here, he he basically does nothing. And even after he does the whole, like, you know, pretend to pee my pants so that this kid doesn't get made fun of or whatever, the one good thing that he does, and then he proceeds to screw up his relationship by going back to his old ways. Like, you know, he, he shows up at Veronica's house drunk and is just like, hey, let's go light poop on fire on people's doorsteps. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, Billy, you. It's just, it's it's ridiculous that all these all these women are fawning over Adam Sandler in this movie. And it's just like he's the most insufferable human being alive. Money, man. That also reminds me of that line in the movie, like, it's early in the movie where uh, Norm MacDonald's like, who would you rather bone, Meg Ryan or Jack Nicholson? <laughs> like, Meg Ryan or Jack Nicholson, 1974. And Norm MacDonald's mm-hmm. like, uh, 74. And he says Meg Ryan, and there's this really confused look on Norm MacDonald's face, like, why would you use that? So, if anything now, I view that moment as kind of like... <laughs> Not heartwarming, but like, hey, at least they're not being like these terribly heteronormative assholes. Like they're kind of like questioning their own sexuality, and they're being a bit aggressive in this very throwaway scene, <laughs> which does not excuse the whole film. But it's just a thought I had, and I wanted to write yeah. it up. Well, I, I, uh, go ahead, Marius. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost more acceptable to me that they don't throw in some, like, faux redemption moment for Sandler where they're like, hey, look, now he's a better person, like you'll see in, like, Big Daddy or something later, mm-hmm. where, where it's like, we're, we're talking about, at least in later films, he has a moment you can point to, but it's, it's almost better that that he doesn't to me. That it's, that it's just a, a realized fantasy for him? Yeah, well, absolutely. What the hell is Billy Madison but a, uh, Adam Sandler's Jerk, uh, a wet dream, you know, it's just fucking... Mm-hmm. And and he's living it now, so there you go. He's realized his own wet dreams. So. Yeah, well, and if, if I could say one positive thing about Billy Madison, well, I'll say a couple. One, it, it, all these, like, weird little moments, like the Norm part that you mentioned, and just these, like, small throwaway scenes, that's where the movie succeeds the most, just the things that are kind of, like, afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is, is at least it's not as bad as that movie where Adam Sandler's on a boat. 
<laughs> oh, God. O- overboard? Was overboard. That yeah, overboard. That's not watchable. <laughs> not not at all. I will pay someone $100 if they can sit through that. It's uh, painful. It's like passing a kidney stone in the form of a movie. Is that one where they released the uh, VHS copy years after Billy Madison was even released, and he's just, like, shrugging with a life preserver on him? Yeah, that's correct. Right. Okay. <laughs> Which kind of tells him, like, eh, I guess I made a movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. Huff and I endeavor to watch that at some point. I think we watched it in Bakersfield, actually. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, it's like a $5 special, and Adam Sandler ha- is – insufferable like he has no idea how to he's like sub mark Marin Marin season one acting level he just he has no oh idea god what he's oh. <laughs> <Jeez>. hot take <laughs> no, no uh, I, I like I that's like not him. a hot take yeah. no no no, no I know he's bad um, Marin season two is a major step forward he, oh, he yeah, actually gets a little oh, yeah. comfortable yeah. but season one he's like it's like oh god I feel bad for this man he's so uncomfortable <laughs> yeah <laughs> Even yeah, even Marin admits that he said on his podcast, it's just like, oh, I'm glad that everybody you know is is liking season two on Netflix and uh, you know even season one. <laughs> yeah, Marin knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, well, are we like going to get into anyone else this year? We've got a, a pro wrestling. We've got a Billy Madison. I think we still have two silent voices here. Uh, what else do we have as far as something I, that is going to wreck you for? I remember, I was going to say, um, for some reason, this was years ago, I remember having, uh, it was like right when I started getting into like, uh, like art house cinema, and um, I had a conversation with my brother, I think it was, um, about guilty pleasures, and, and like for some reason I distinctly remember um, saying, like not not even in a shameful way, but but being like, oh yeah, you know what's one of my guilty pleasures? I really like Spider Man. This was the Sam Raimi one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and thinking back on that, it's so weird that 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 would even that I would even consider that a guilty pleasure. But it was it was just because <laughs> yeah. what a genre it was, it was just because <laughs> right because I I was subscribing to this stupid idea of cinephilia that like. Serious people, serious like cinephiles only stood faithfully behind like serious, like straight face cinema, and mm-hmm. and it's it's just ridiculous. So that that's like um, that's more embarrassing than anything I like now. But um, that that story, <laughs> but uh, that's sort of in- indicative of like how arbitrary these things are and um, how they change over time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it, it, yeah. If I was, if I had like advice to to people like, um, and I know like when you're growing up and you're learning about pop culture or getting more exposed to things, you sort of like find yourself tailoring your taste to to like other wagons, whether that's like a blog like ours, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. or like um, somebody's yeah. writing pitchfork music wagon. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the the best example, and. I, I would say, like, try to evaluate how independent your actual opinions are and try to, like, keep keep your foot in as many proverbial camps of, like, different mediums and genres as possible. And if it's writing, like, read other people, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as a big genre fan, person, like, genre film person, I mean, I'm super into horror, and a lot of people would, would throw a lot of stuff that I... I love into the guilty pleasure category, but I never would because it's it's something I absolutely would mention on a first day because it's such a part of my identity. And uh, 
and yeah. how I who I am as a film fan. Like you know, I'm not gonna be ashamed of loving horror, regardless of its quality. A lot of people just throw a stigma on the genre in general, and uh, same with action. It's like yeah, if it's well made, and uh, you know, shut up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I none of that considered guilty pleasure for me. Guilty pleasure is more well, stuff that I I recognize that I I only enjoy because of when I saw it. Like stuff that I yeah. would not ever pick up on today. I was just going to say continuing on with uh with the uh, first date analogy um uh, literally um if you do that like if you actually like step out of your comfort zone whether it's on a first date or or with somebody like uh that you meet um that you're like oh this could be a good relationship um of any kind usually if you get that stuff out it usually brings about like good conversation like fun conversation you're, like I, you're not usually like shamed you know it's like uh, it's like when somebody's like trying to talk to you about something that like maybe an album that you haven't heard of and you try to like pretend like you've heard it um <laughs> It, oh, yeah, like, which is just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would even yeah. say too. Speaking as a person who's been on many first dates in the last ten years, um, that you know, guilty pleasures change as time marches on. I feel like almost everything I liked from high school until maybe midway through the point that I was in college would have been considered a guilty pleasure. You know, practically mm -hmm. all of the music I listened to, my favorite band, for Christ's sake, is Tears for Fears. Yeah. That's like, that's a band that's getting critically reevaluated. Even like Billy Joel right now is being critically reevaluated. And that's somebody that I liked and would have to defend my passion for, or not passion for, but the fact that I like this person's <laughs> work. And now it's like if I go on a date, like I'll say, well, I like Billy Joel. I hope that's all right. And they're like, oh God, yeah, he said. Great. I hope that's all right. That, and that's and that's what happens. Like nowadays, it's like I'm running out of things that I feel guilty about just because there's that critical reassessment of all of these things that we once considered to be total shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm too old to feel like I have to, like, justify myself or apologize for things that I like. Like, I don't give a shit. You know what? Steely Dan's awesome. I don't care if it's dad music. Billy Joel's awesome. Like, just, who cares? Honestly, who cares? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I know you love Patch Adams like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you All crossed right. the line, man. You crossed the line. <laughs> hey, what if Robin Williams would have had Patch Adams as a doctor, by the way? Oh God! Sorry. Just move on. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, maybe what, maybe how uh, you know what dreams may come would have turned out different. <laughs> you never know. I like, you know. I like how surfing the web there was like this article I read about how uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and uh, Robin Williams died and they're both Patch Adams <laughs> linked to like emotional scene with two of America's greatest actors. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? Oh, it's fucking Patch Adams. Why don't you fucking <laughs> kill yourself? Yeah. That's, God, that drove me nuts. When, yeah, when Robin Williams passed away and there was, you know, all these articles and listicles and it's like, remembering the finest moments of Robin Williams' career and it's just like, oh, here's a clip from RV. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, just stop. License to wed? Yeah, license, license to, to wed. wed. Yeah, you push apart Josh and Mandy. <laughs> so Coleman, you have no guilty pleasure either. Are you also in the uh, the Sean camp of 
Well, I know I talked about that Sting before. Ah, Sting. Okay, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll go with Sting. I like that. Yeah. Sting is, Sting's a good choice. Sting and you know the what? BW3s. The rest, the BW3s. wrestling thing is definitely, uh, yeah, but I think, I think, yeah, that's a big one for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. I feel more shame uh, buying, like, multiple frozen pizzas than uh, <laughs> any sort of pop culture. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> plays into, like, real health concerns <laughs> that, that don't correlate with pop culture. Beyond dietary concerns. Just, you know. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm glad you guys have mostly transcended the concept. To me, I'm way too much of a self-loathing fuck to ever transcend the concept. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I say anything, I'm like, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, think, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, there's... Guilty pleasures don't exist. If you like something, you like something. Who gives a shit? Even right. if it's professional wrestling, you go on that date and you say, "Hey, I really like John Cena." <laughs> and then if if she says, "You know, that's stupid," then uh, you, you get up and you leave. You just leave her. You leave with her wherever the, she is. With all due respect, incredibly stupid. <laughs> Wait, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I believe this is talking shit about Cena. Oh my God, he was the great no American movie. hero. Come on. He's the Marine. He's the titular Marine. Marine. Hustle, loyalty. <laughs> That's all I'm getting from you right now, Coleman. <laughs> a lot of jorts in this. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> all right, well, we're going to use this as an opportunity to segue into our very special segment that we have. This week on the Outback Cast, we've been talking a lot about nostalgia and guilty pleasures. And what could children of the 90s and early aughts be more nostalgic for than shitty new metal bands? So tonight, Optimism Vaccine is going to be playing New Metal Trivia, and our contestants today are Adam Myros, a man who spends most of his time listening to Power Man 5000 when he's not puking on public transportation. Good evening, Steve. Also joining us is Steve Coleman, who, to my knowledge, hasn't puked on public transportation, uh, but he really likes Rob Zombie. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> I was I was hoping for a Dragula joke or something there from you, Steve. Come on, come on. <laughs> and our guest of honor is the resident new metal scholar of Optimism Vaccine. She has written more about Brian Head Welch than just about anyone other than probably Brian Head Welch himself. She's also written extensively about shitty new metal bands that cover Black Sabbath songs. Uh, Anna's here with us today. How you doing? Hi there, good. No pressure, you know. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like I've given you this really important title and, you know, you're expected to win or anything. For today's New Metal Trivia, the grand prize is going to be the Coal Chamber CD that I steal from my girlfriend's CD case and mail to one of you. So, big stakes on the line, bragging rights and a Coal Chamber CD. So, for New Metal Trivia tonight, we've got three rounds, and our first round is called Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. I'm going to name four New Metal bands, and when it's your turn, you need to identify which one of the four bands has at least one member who has passed away. So, for example, if I were to say Drowning Pool as one of the four bands, you would know instantly that that's the answer. His body hit the floor. His body did indeed hit the floor. <laughs> that was probably the funniest joke when I was in high school in 2002. I can imagine. It's got to be at least top three. <laughs> Shortly after 9-11, if I do. 
<laughs> it only gets better. God. I'm not going to do well here. I thought he died in, like, 2010. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, he died at the peak. Yeah, the peak. He was, it was peak drowning pool, man. Headline and Ozfest. Who wants to go first? Is there anybody who wants to volunteer here? I say you got to go with the favorite first, right? I guess we do have to go with the favorite. Okay, Anna's going to start, and then we'll go with Myros, and uh, bringing up the rear, as always, Steve Coleman. Okay, here are your four bands. Uh, after I say all four, we're going to give you, uh, I don't know, about five, seven seconds to answer. Uh, so, you know, don't uh, don't take too long. No Googling or anything. Uh-huh. Okay, here are your bands. Project 86, 36 Crazy Fists, Factory 81, and Primer 55. Oh, boy. I have I no can, idea. I can, I can repeat those if you'd like. Sure, why not? Project 86, 36 Crazy Fists. Factory 81, and Primer 55. I I have no idea. I'm just going to go ahead and guess Project 86. Oh, no. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry. The answer is 36 Crazy Fists. And, in oh. fact, the reason the band formed was because they were in three different bands, and a guy got stabbed in the neck by an angry Marine who hated Jenko jeans or something. <laughs> and that guy died, so they formed 36 Crazy Fists. And then after they formed, I think their bassist or somebody else died a few years later. So a lot of tragedy. Wow. Then, yeah. This is some sad fucking trivia, so sit back. I got to ask, though, is Primer 55 an actual band, or did you make that up? I did not make that up, no. Oh, wow. uh, it's, it's weird, because most like I started my research looking on the Wikipedia page for list of new metal bands. And <laughs> Naturally. It's, it's almost like... Somebody had to have invented some sort of like name generator online for this shit because it's it's so fucking derivative. Everything is derivative. I feel like Primer Fifty Five is the only one of those bands I've ever remotely heard of. I couldn't tell you a song by them, but it's it rings a, a small bell in the back of my mind. Well, you should be familiar with Factor Eighty One because they're from Detroit, Michigan, and they actually filmed their only music video at. Probably the the central hub of Detroit new metal, uh, the Wired Frog. So oh my goodness! <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just realized I'm the only non-Michigan person here. This is going to be kind sure. of uh, it's. It, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of Michigan stuff in here. I got to tell you, I try I tried to give it a little Michigan slant well, to it. Well, yeah, I'm I'm not a Detroiter, so I I'm not privy to that whole scene. If you ask me what the hub of the Detroit new metal scene was, I'd have said Harpo's. So. Harpo's is that's also a good that's choice. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Also a good place to get stabbed. Okay, <clears throat> Myro, so you're ready. I, I'm prepared. All right, here you go. Your four bands are Mushroom Head. Machine Head, Head P.E., or Godhead? <laughs> and I can repeat those if you'd like. I, I don't think I need a repeat here. I, I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit because there's so many members. Uh, Mushroom Head had like 30 people in it, so probably one of them died. Mushroom Head. You're correct. That's yeah. correct. Good choice. Playing the odds. Uh, yeah, Mushroom Head. Uh, I don't even know, it, you know, I mean, they, they're just a bunch of guys in masks. I think they're, they have, they're like double Slipknot. There's like 20 people in the fucking band. <laughs> With like uh, a prog twist. They had this whole like crappy prog electronic nonsense going on. It's a really terrible band. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty garbage band. But uh, yeah, I don't know. One of their bass players oh. in a clown mask, one of their six bass players died. 
Uh, so yeah, he's he's not around. That's a shame. It's, it really is a crying shame. I told you, bring some tissues, man. This is a this is a sad trip down memory lane. <laughs> All right, I just, Steve, I are you ready? One out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Your four bands are. Uh-oh. Seven Dust, Soulfly, uh-huh. Slipknot. I can repeat those if you'd like. Yeah, well, let's hear them again. Okay. So we've got Seven Dust, Soulfly, Slipknot, or Saliva. They all start with an S. They do. That is, uh, that's a thing. Um, Five seconds, Steve. What was the second band again? Sorry. Soulfly. That's the one. I'm going to go with Soulfly. <laughs> that's the wrong answer. It's not God Soulfly. damn it. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, I think Soulfly. They like they didn't the like Cavalier or somebody. I think a Sepultura guy died. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's Sepultura a guy died. But uh, no, Soulfly lives on yeah. in our right, hearts yeah. and in our minds with their hit song "Boom." Ah, uh, yes. I think that's the song, right? I think so. Man. Uh, uh, the correct answer is uh, it's Slipknot, man. Come on. Really? Not yeah. So you got to play those odds. You always <laughs> play the numbers game when it comes to new metal. Who who in Slipknot died? I don't fucking know. Uh, number thirty-seven. Yeah, the answer is number thirty-seven. I I don't. I really don't know. Um, Do the guy with the zipper on the mask? N- uh maybe. Or maybe it was Spiky guy. I don't. I don't know. They're all the same to me. The sea urchin man. Let's go with him. The one who. <laughs> the non-stone sour guy. Yeah, it wasn't stone sour. It was one of the non-stone sours. Okay. Uh, this one's actually a tough one, so I... Oh, boy. Yeah, you, you might be in trouble here. You could be in trouble. Okay, your four bands are American Head Charge, Edema, Hell Yeah, or Skin Lab. I'm going to go with Edema just because I want that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I admire your reason for choosing <laughs> Because I also feel the same way about Jonathan Davis's younger brother. Uh, the answer is actually American Head Charge. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they just charged right into our lives and charged out. Right back out, yeah. Well, right back out. Well, to be fair, Edema does sound like a band where somebody has died. Yeah, it, yeah does it? What is Edema, anyways? That's like a medical thing that has to do with death. So, yeah, that's, that's close. I also want to mention right now that I've seen Edema live. You've seen Edema live? What so was that? So, let's like? just. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, it was on the same bill as it was the night 89 next stole Christmas in like 2002, maybe. Oh my God. Yeah, so it was it was Blink 182, Jimmy World, uh, Adima, obviously. 311 and Adima. Oh God. Yeah, that was quite oh the lineup. Jesus. Is, is it? Do you think Adima is Medea's favorite new metal band? <laughs> Whoa. That would be pr- See, I was fixated this entire time on the Hell Yeah. There's a new band called Hell Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You don't know about Hell Yeah? <laughs> what the holy hell is that? Oh, please Let me on. tell you about Hell Yeah. And I thank God none of them have, you know, left this mortal coil because holy shit. So Hell Yeah is a new metal super group, okay, uh, oh. consisting of Mudvayne lead vocalist Chad Gray, oh, that guy's Nothing great. Face guitarist Tom Maxwell, <clears throat> Bass player Kyle Sanders and former Damage Plan and Pantera drummer Vinny Motherfucking Paul. Whoa! 
That's right. Wow. And guess what? They recorded their fucking debut album in Dimebag Daryl's backyard. Because no way. Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> and if oh you go goodness. on YouTube, they have videos where they're just at the grocery store saying hell yeah and buying an entire grocery cart full of Jägermeister. Oh, Jesus Christ. Is this Which, why Dimebag is dead now? That could be. That's possible. <laughs> Too soon. Continuing on with round one. Myros, you're up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Your four bands are Spine Shank. <laughs> what are you, you guys don't like Spine Shank? <laughs> I actually I actually owned two Spine Shank. <laughs> well, that might help you help out here. Okay, okay, here we go. Four bands. No, spine no. Shank. Ultra Spank. <laughs> tap Roots. Or Twisted Brown Trucker. <laughs> oh! It's got, it's Twisted Brown Trucker. It is! Correct! 100% rest in peace, Joe C. Yeah, Joe C, man. Three foot nine with a ten inch dick. That is, wow. that is what he would rap. He said wow. that. He did. That's what, it, it actually says that on his headstone. It was a hell of a thing for him to carry it around. That's why he died. Yeah, it really was tough. Steve, you're up. Are you ready? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Your four bands are Wicked Wisdom, Crazy Town, Coal Chamber, and Unloco. Ooh. Um, you want those repeated? I gotta say, Coal Chamber sounds about right, because it wasn't Wicked Wisdom with Jada Pinkett Smith. That was with Jada Pinkett Smith, and she is alive. She's yeah. definitely alive. But is her bass player alive? No. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope he is. <laughs> so you're going with Coal Chamber. Is that your final answer? No, I'm going to go with Wicked Wisdom. <laughs> wow. Well, no, it's too bad you don't no, no, have no wisdom about new metal bands. Because that was a wicked shitty answer, bro. <laughs> The answer is actually Crazy Town, believe it or not. Crazy Town. Um, while resident crackhead and hip hop MC uh, Shifty Shellshock lives on, uh, God. DJ AM, who has also collaborated with Travis Barker from Blink 182, is dead. Wow. Oh. So, so does Crazy go. Town have like a, a a few harder songs that I'm not aware of? Because that really doesn't seem like new metal. Although I did also see it on the list of bands, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, the interesting thing about Crazy Town is they're kind of like the hair metal bands in the 80s that only got big from the, their ballad song. Uh, uh, so, you know, you have Butterfly, obviously. Uh, but the rest of their of their album, or albums, I guess they have more than one record, it's akin to, like, you know, Cotton Mouth Kings, sort of, or Head P.E., something something in that realm. Oh, well, God, thank the Lord I've never listened to any of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty awful. It's, it's pretty pretty fucking awful. <laughs> like an android licking a lollipop. <laughs> that was a good album cover reference. <laughs> well done. Well done, sir. Uh, unfortunately, you don't get any fucking points. Okay, so at the end of round one, Adam Myros with a commanding lead of two to nothing. All right. Round two is called Puddle of Mudvane. Uh, alternatively, you could call it Muddle of Pudvane, which is vaguely sexual. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you lyrics from a song, 
and you need to tell me if they're from a puddle of mud single or a mud vein single. Keep in mind, these are singles. They're not deep cuts. Although you might be surprised because I found out these bands put out way more singles than you would imagine. <laughs> oh, dear. Look, this, this sounds really easy. I, I'm going to be upset when I get them all wrong. Ahem. And I'm not going to do it in the voices, unfortunately. So. Uh, yeah, that, that's for another day. Here we go. Everyone showed you where to turn, told you when to run away. Nobody told you where to hide. Nobody told you what to say. Puddle of Mud? That's correct! Puddle of Mud! From their hit single, uh, Drift and Die, I think? That's that one, maybe? That's Wasn't that exactly blurry? what happened, isn't it? Maybe it was blurry. I don't fucking know, man. They're all <laughs> the same. That's the other thing, too. Like, I was looking at all their lyrics, and you could just kind of, like, shuffle around everything, and most of their songs sound pretty much the same. I mean, as far as the lyrics go. Well, probably the music, too. All right. Good job. Go away. Go away. Go away from me. Leave me alone. Ignorance spreads lies. How much will money buy? This has got to be Mudvayne. Uh, no, actually, the answer is Puddle of Mud. And that's actually from Drift and Die, because I think Die rhymes with buy, so that would make sense. <laughs> from oh. the chorus. All right. Steve, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I ain't selling my soul when there's nothing to buy. I'm livid in my space, pissing in my face. Fuck you while you try to fuck me. I can repeat that if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear that again. I ain't selling my soul when there's nothing to buy. <laughs> I'm livid in my space, pissing in my face. Fuck you while you try to fuck me. It's a single. Yeah. It's a single. I'm gonna go sing- with mud- Let's go with Mudvayne. That's correct, Mudvayne! Yes! Great job. I don't know what single that one's from. <laughs> Maybe... Uh, that actually might be Dig. Yeah, no, yeah, could anyone like know any lyrics to Dig, really? No, I mean, I know they say the word Dig, and then I think yeah. they say Bury Me after that, and then it's just like... It's kind of like Tasmanian Devil... <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. A lot of Why bark. don't you dig? And then, who knows? <laughs> who knows what else? You, you had a little lounge singer swing to that. Why don't you dig? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, Very mean. I, uh, it's a Richard Cheese mud thing. <laughs> That'd <right. laughs> be great. Hand in hand with Weird Al. <laughs> okay. In a trap. Trip. I can't grip. Never thought I'd be the one who'd slip. Then I started to realize... I was living one big lie. It's gotta be correct. It's gotta be correct. Good job. <laughs> Excellent job. Rhymes. Love me that puddle of mud. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. All right, Maros, are you ready? Yeah, it's, my lead is slipping away here. It is. It's uh, it's rapidly deteriorating. Here we go. I just want to run, fly kites, wrestle, jump, and play. Swim through waves that crash to shore. Memories in me, cocooned in misery. <laughs> I can say that again if you want. If you want to hear about the wrestling and the kites. Yeah, go ahead. I, <laughs> I just want to run, fly kites, wrestle, jump, and play. Swim through wa- waves that crash to shore. Memories in me, cocooned in misery. 
This is not actually a Raffi song, in case you're wondering. <laughs> that, that was my first inclination. Not you a Raffi. I don't know why. I, it can't be right, but I'm going to go Mudvayne again. Well, you're correct! All right. Oh, my God. Can you fucking yeah. believe Mudvayne wrote the lyrics, I want to run and fucking fly kites? <laughs> that, that's very strange. That's quite odd. Last but not least, Steve Coleman. Here we go. All right. Ever feel like dying? Ever feel alone? Ever feel like crying? Lost child in a store? Ever feel life pushing, shoving you away? Ever feel like breaking down like a funeral in the rain? Oh, well, breaking down like a funeral in the rain, I mean, you know, of course... Uh, <laughs> you, got, you got three seconds. Steve. Have, you, have you ever been to a funeral in the rain? Is it, it's puddle mud, isn't it? No, it's mud vein. Actually, oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake! Yeah, I was gonna go mud vein. It, was, it wasn't very rainy. Yeah. yeah, what you might not know is mud vein. They're they're a lot more sensitive than you think. Okay, and they don't wear the the scary monster makeup anymore. They actually, after the scary monster makeup, they went through a phase where they dress like um like the guys from Prometheus, and now they don't even wear any makeup. And they've gotten very sensitive. So this is actually the lead single from their 2009 self-titled album that I know you all own. Ooh. I, I did own LD50 uh, once upon a time. So. <laughs> so it's a classic, an absolute yeah. classic. Yeah. For the win, this round, round three is worth three points. Okay? <sighs> it's a big one. Anybody right. can take it. Uh, this round is called Cornucopia. So in Cornucopia... Each contestant will name a corn song. If you can't think of one in five seconds or you repeat a song that has already been named, you are eliminated from cornucopia. Oh, God. Yep. Yeah, oh, God is right. That's actually not a corn song. Little little hint for you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Freak on a leash. Okay, Marius. Uh Blind. Okay, Coleman. Adidas. Good choice. Got the life. Uh, ball tongue. The, the cover of that cameo song, Word Up. <laughs> Good poll. Fuck, they covered a Pink Floyd song, but I can't remember which one. Uh-oh, time's ticking. Four, three, two, one. Oh, my God, I have to pass. Not expected. Myros, oh, my God, I blanked. It's a lot of pressure in new metal trivia. High stakes. Oh, God. I think I might also be blanking here. Five seconds. Four. Three. Two. One. You got nothing? You got fucking nothing? I can't come up with any names. I'm like, there's oh, that Fred Durst oh, song, and then there's the Jesus, song. Jesus, Coleman, if you can name a corn song, you are the new metal grandmaster super champ. Got the life? That already is fucking name. Oh, shit. You're all fucked up. Bag it. I got one more. Bag it. Wait. I remember the Pink Floyd cover. <laughs> what was the Pink Floyd cover? Another brick in the wall. Yes. Okay. There was a Cure cover, too, wasn't there? Yeah, that Robert Smith thing. I think that was 311. Okay, now. <laughs> There's so much bad new metal going on. Since nobody won round three... We're going to have a toss-up question to determine who gets these points. Here's the toss-up question. All you have to do is say it. Whoever say it, says it first, if we had buzzers, you would buzz in here. Uh, 
what's the name of the other shitty band that Wes Borland is in that isn't Limp Bizkit? Queen Big Kong. Dumb Face. Big Dumb Face. Big Dumb Face is the answer. Yeah. Adam Burrows. Yeah. Did you say Queensryche? Is that what you said, Anna? No, what? he's actually in another band with his 12-year-old girlfriend called Queen Kwong. Yeah, like... Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, I, well, she's not actually 12, but she looks 12. But yeah. Oh, darn. I was going to... Okay. Now Sorry. You just... I think you just edged out Myros, because I was looking for Big Dumb Face, but you gave me Queen Kwong, which is an actual answer. <laughs> that's That's impressive. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you because you're the favorite. You're kind of like the, uh, the New England Patriots here. <laughs> this is our ball deflation. Oh, I just, wow. uh, new, the new metal gate. The new, new metal, hashtag new metal gate. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for playing. Uh, we're going to go back to the podcast now. And we're back, and that pretty much concludes another episode of the Opvac Cast. But before we go, Steve Coleman, what are you putting over this week? Well, since we're talking about guilty pleasures, and this has personally been a guilty pleasure of mine for a long time, I'm going to put over the book Mad World by uh, Jonathan Bernstein. Oh, is that the is that about the song from Donnie Darko? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a it Gary Jules biography. Gary right? <laughs> <a> Jules biography. <laughs> With it, they don't talk about Michael Andrews at all, though. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I did a trivia this past week, and I won an entire category on Jake Gyllenhaal. And I had no idea I would win it, but there you go. Uh, How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm indifferent to it, but at least, you know, I earned a free beer for it. So there Well, you are that. a Gyllenhaalic, so, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I can't believe beer. I got a perfect score. I didn't, couldn't believe I remembered how to spell his last name or that I even knew how. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. So this book, it's this is not actually a book about Gary Jules, right? <laughs> no, it is not a book about <laughs> uh, But it is a book about um, some of the more popular... New Wave singles from the early to mid-1980s, and uh, so, like, each chapter is about one song. Um, so, the, obviously, they cover Mad World by Tears for Fears. There's some articles about Devo, Duran Duran, um, Human League, any band that you can think of that was important to 80s New Wave is in there, and they're all very interesting. Like, they talk about the singles, but they also interview the bands to kind of get a history of, like, the song itself and why the bands, for the most part, kind of, like, faded into obscurity after their popularity. So um, it's worth checking out. Um, I'm sure it's available in paperback at your nearest, I don't know, Barnes & Noble or Half Price Books, wherever you go to buy books, Amazon. Yeah, it's a good read. Check it out. Perfect. Cool. Sean, what are you putting over? Yeah, um, <clears throat> after um, spending a couple weeks before in preparation for the uh, last episode of the podcast, uh, where I was just watching movie after movie um, for part of the Oscars catch-up, mm-hmm. I have been switching to uh, a lot of television, um, and I started uh, The Affair on Showtime with... Um, Mick Nolte, of course, and, and Rawls makes an appearance as well. Um, <clears throat> but this is a uh, hour-long drama um, mm-hmm. that just ended its first season um, last fall. And basically, uh, it's about 
uh, McNulty plays um, this guy who's who's a father of four and a husband, and they go out to Montauk with his in-laws for the for like this luxurious summer, and he's a novelist and he's doing this research of the island, blah blah. Uh, this affair, kind of, um, uh, uh, titular affair, um, <laughs> with, with a waitress in town. Um, but it, it's this interesting show where, uh, it does this half and half perspective thing. So it's the first half hour is, is one of their perspectives, um, mm-hmm. the man in the affair, and then the other half is the perspective of the woman in the affair. Um, and the way that it uses that is really smart and it's clever, um, but it's it's a show that that uh, really benefits from from binge watching because of like sort of the the intimacy of it. Uh, the tone kind of reminds me of like short stories or novels that I've read um, in in a, in a w- weird way that's hard to articulate. But um, it's just a really really good drama um, and. I am halfway through the first season, first season, so I have like five more episodes to go, and uh, probably after I finish that, um, a piece that I've already started will be going up on the blog. Good stuff. Now, I, I don't have. What if we don't have your bougie cable? Can I watch this on Netflix or Hulu or where, where do I get this stuff? Oh shoot, uh, I don't have cable, but I um, you, you I do found it on ways? streaming. I found I found ways, but uh, I'm sure that you can torrent the first season. I mean, uh, I yeah. guess I'm not positive. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's how I watched it. So uh, yeah, you you can watch it. Oh before. yeah. What did what did you think? Uh, much like the the showrunner's previous show, In Treatment, uh, pretty excellent stuff that no one's heard of. Uh, it's <laughs> it's really smartly written. It's uh, Gabriel really, Byrne. Yeah. yeah, Gabriel Byrne in Treatment is is quite a, a good show, and uh, no one's seen it. But yeah, uh, I like the affair a lot. It, it would be I, I, on my list from last year. I I, was, speaking uh, of Showtime, speaking of Showtime, um, uh, you're a fan of Banshee, is is that right? Banshee is actually Cinemax. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Skinemax. That's <laughs> yeah. Skinemax. Yeah, it's it's anyway, kind of the uh, it's kind of the the their first. Well, I mean, they have like three original shows. Both of, the first two were ported over from BBC, though. Uh, Banshee's their first. Uh, Fully independent show, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I was all set to put over this uh, album I had been listening to, but then the last week of TV happened, and it totally uh, threw me off. Because seriously, uh, if you didn't watch TV last week, you are you're missing out. Uh, it was one of the best weeks of television I've I've ever seen. Uh, you had Broad City all time classic episode. Uh, oh, the dildo with- episode. Oh, it was so good. That was excellent. Uh, yeah, Always Sunny had a an A plus episode. So did so did Archer. So did mm-hmm. uh, Justified. But but to me, the crown jewel on the whole week is, is a show that I I once considered a guilty pleasure, but has evolved well past that point. Uh, Skinamax, uh, Banshee. <laughs> it is it is the most over the top show on television. It's ludicrously violent and uh, it's as masculine as can be, but. Uh, it is also as cinematic as anything on television. It's uh, really, really well done. More than the... More than what? Yeah. Well, you broke up there a little bit. Huh? Huh? What? <laughs> Sean, you still there? What'd you say? More than... Uh, uh, more than... More than Nick? 
Ooh, that that's this a fair comparison. Totally uh, the Nick is okay. up there. The Nick is very cin. Well, obviously, since Soderbergh is is present, it's very cinematic. But it's it's up there. I I'd say The Good Wife also uses a lot of like traditional cinema technique beyond uh, television, and those those three kind of stand out to me as as existing almost as like I could watch last week's episode of Banshee knowing nothing about the rest of the series, and it would still be compelling. It's almost like the, the remake of Assault on Precinct 13 that uh, that I want to see rather than the Ethan Hawke one. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the rest of the series, um, so this is the third season from what I gather? Correct. Um, yes. is, is, so is this something that's good enough to like uh, warrant sitting through the first two seasons? Like, Are those good? Absolutely. Uh it's it's a little rough start. Again, it's at the beginning, like when I watched the first like say five episodes, I, I think I texted Cuff and, and told him I, I'd call it Grand Theft Auto the series. Like it's just <laughs> it's it's totally over the top batshit insane violence, sex it, but especially as it rolls into season two, but I, again, season one's definitely worth watching just for the character information and and what it does so well is establishing these these interesting, quirky, fun characters that you you care about what happens to and you want to spend time with, and in the villainous roles as well as the protagonist roles. And so, I mean, season one might not be as strong as what comes after it, but it's definitely something worth watching, especially because it's so enriched by what comes after. It gets stronger every week. It's it's a it's a it's probably. It's definitely one of my top five favorite shows airing right now, and it's it's uh, a show no one watches. You don't hear anything about it online, and it's yeah. a shame because it's, it's great. All right, this week I'm putting over another article. It's not on Medium this time. Uh, I actually don't know where it is. It might actually be on Medium. I'm not sure. Anyways, the article is called Vanishing Act. It's by some guy named Paul Collins, and it's about a boat. Did I just like go into youper mode here? It's about... <laughs> An author by the name of Barbara Follett, and she wrote in the early 20th century, and she published her first novel when she was eight years old, and she was like a child prodigy, and she had published like three or four novels by the time she was in her early 20s, and then she just disappeared, like completely off the face of the earth, nobody knows what happened to her, and all of her books went, uh, they went out of print, and they're just sitting around in some dusty archive, and this guy, like, dug them out. And apparently they're absolutely brilliant. And the fact that no one's ever solved the mystery of what happened to her, if anything happened to her, if she just decided, eh, fuck this, I'm done, and, you know, kind of disappeared. So it's, it's really, really interesting. All right, gentlemen, thank you again. If you are interested in more content from Optimism Vaccine, you can go to OptimismVaccine.com. You can find us on Twitter at OptimismVaccine. Or you can go to the Shepherd Express website, and you can read all the wonderful things that we have to say. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Uh, so, yeah, Steve, what are you going to say? Last word. It's always yours. You guys are all invited to come watch Powder at my place. Powder! Powder!